Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Physical Kids Weekly. I'm Clara. And I'm Danny. And we're coming out of our summer hiatus today to bring you an interview with show writer Christina Strain. Christina wrote some of our very favorite episodes, including last season's Art of the Deal. So we're thrilled to get the chance to talk to her today. Christina, welcome to Physical Kids Weekly. Hi, thanks for having me. (laughs) Um, The bio you sent us was so fascinating, so I thought we'd start (laughs) by just asking you to share a bit of your background with our listeners. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I have a very, I have a bit of a weird background. So uh, I am an Air Force brat. My dad is a Caucasian uh, man from Louisiana. He met my mom while stationed overseas in Korea. She's Korean, Korean American. They got married and out of that marriage came my sister and I. Um, They also got a divorce shortly after. So uh, when I was six, my parents got divorced and my mom chose to stay in Korea. So we grew up right outside a military base while going to school on a military base. So I'm very much a weird military brat that my whole life revolved around one military base instead of several. Then when I was 18, yeah, it's crazy. I'm a a little bit of a weirdo on all sides of things. (laughs) Um, when, when I was 18, at that point, you know, I'm a U.S. citizen because I was born on a base, which is considered U.S. soil. They were like, you know, you can't really stay. <laughs> Your visa isn't, you know, you can stay for a little bit, but there's a certain point in which um, you can no longer be a dis- dependent under your uh, parents. So most of the time, military brats go to college. And like most of them, I went to school in the States and I hated it. So <laughs> I lived in Louisiana for a little bit, but while I was there, I met a bunch of people who were into American comics and I had grown up reading a bunch of manga and a little bit of American comics. And I just decided when I was in college to try to break into comics. So then when I was 22, because I started doing conventions while I was in college and I just basically was like, I need to try getting my career started immediately. Cause you always get the warning that you, it won't happen right away. So I started mm-hmm. early. Uh, luckily after I graduated, I did get a job and I, Quickly, I got a job at CrossGen Comics for six months before they went under and I got laid off. And then luckily I landed at Marvel. Uh, So then I worked for Marvel. My first book at Marvel was a comic called Runaways, which is now a television show. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's crazy. And so I was on Runaways for 53 issues. um, And I worked at Marvel on a bunch of books, uh, aside from Runaways, Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, World War Hulk, Daughters of the Dragon, which I think is going to be a Marvel uh, show soon. Um, and after about seven or eight years, I just started getting what I like to call spandex fatigue because I grew up reading, you know, genre. I grew up reading comics in Asia, which extend beyond superheroes. So I just decided that if I was going to work on stuff that was not that, I needed to write it. So then I started writing web comics, and one of them was a web comic called The Fox Sister, which is still online. And I enjoyed it so much that I decided to fully retire from coloring and go to grad school to basically buy myself time to commit to writing fully. Because the problem with working in comics is that it can be all consuming and you just don't have time for anything else. Yeah. So I just committed to writing and I wrote a pilot adaptation of that webcomic, The Fox Sister, and that pilot is what got me my job on The Magicians. And I've been on The Magicians since season nice. two. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I think that's really interesting that you started in comics. Obviously, like mm-hmm. comics and TV are both fairly visual storytelling medium. Yes. Um, were there any favorite comics that you had growing up or mangas, things that inspired you? 
Yeah, you know, I was actually <laughs> super, as a kid, super into Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z. My sister was super into Sailor Moon. But, like, I loved a lot of the classic 90s stuff, like Rurouni Kenshin. Kenshin. Um, <laughs> Kenshin was amazing. Yes. Um, there were so many good books, man. Uh, and then there was, like, a ton of anime that I loved, like Ava, you know, Evangelion, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, the Kenshin anime, like, I think one of my first anime when I was a kid was Ranma, one half. Uh-huh, of course. So, like, that's the kind of stuff that I was into as a kid. I loved sports anime, too, so, like, Slam Dunk was one that I, like, totally grew up on. Um, and that's why, like, you know, working in American comics for so many years, I was just like, where's my Rurouni Kenshin? You know, like, I just need something a little different. Um, oh, God. Yeah, there was just so much. Like, he kind of no Go was amazing. Um, Death Note, you know, just the list goes on. I just have to ask, like, all I could think during, like, that one scene in six short stories about magic where they're in on Mirror Bridge, yeah. all I could think of is, like, Equivalent Exchange and Full Metal Alchemist, like, in the whole time. Oh, my God, I love Full Metal Alchemist. <laughs> I would love to take credit for any of that stuff that happened on the Mirror Bridge, but that was not me. <laughs> that was, that was- uh, the camera in the art department, like there, there were a bunch of people behind the scenes that were in, uh, like instrumental in the look of that. I wish I had a bigger part in that. It would have been rad. But I remember our DP Ellie showing me um, early shots of that. And I was just like, dude, this is dope. I love it. <laughs> it was so, yeah, super cool. It was so cool. <laughs> there, We're really lucky. We've got a really talented group of people. Yeah. Do you find that like coming from a really visual medium that you – that you write in an especially visual way, like that you, or that you like have partnerships with the DPs and the camera crews when you're trying to like get your episodes produced? Uh, I do write very visually. Um, but it's interesting because, uh, part of the reason that I actually full on went to school to learn how to write like screenplays and teleplays and all that was because, Writing for comics and TV are both visual, but they're very different. Like comics are a series of still images. So you're trying to pick basically those key frames that you want to highlight uh, and those moments that you want to focus on. But like with television, so much of it is movement. Like you can write visual things like notes for the actor where it's like, you know, they give each other a look. Uh, that's different from what I would do in comics because in comics, they have to be a lot more specific. So it's interesting because, like, when you write for television, when you write for comics, you basically have to be a director. You have to write inside a panel not only what you should see, and you want to be careful about how much direction you give an artist because they, they're not, like, you know, they're not going to draw. You want to give them the freedom to kind of visualize it themselves, but you have to give them all the information they need, all of the emotion they need to convey, and all of the tension, intention behind, like, you know, a character's action so they get the full scope. But when you write for TV, uh, you don't, you want to let them know where their character is, but you don't want to over direct them in a way that makes the actor feel trapped. Mm. You want to kind of like just give enough for the art department to understand what a room should look like um, without doing their jobs for them, basically. So you, we work with a bunch of people that we trust, which is great. So you want to give them enough so that they know what you want and having a visual background helps that. Cause I can cherry pick the things that I want to focus on, but then you want to pull back enough so that you don't make them feel like, you're telling them, you know, how to do their jobs. Yeah. Yeah. This is like having to do with comics. And Mm -hmm. I just wanted to ask you, like, how do you feel about the like adaptations that are out there right now? And like what they're doing with TV. Like I actually really like the runaways and what they're doing with it. 
Yeah, no, I was super excited. I got invited to the premiere. Um, like all of us who worked on, like who were kind of like original, you know, art team were invited and I saw my anchor there. My artist is a bit of a, he lives in Toronto. He's kind of a hermit. So like, I knew he wasn't going to come, but it was cool. Cause like, uh, Craig and I, uh, our inker, we were like sitting next to each other in a theater and I just like grab his arm and be like, look, look, that's our girl. Like <laughs> Carolina is a special one for me. Sorry. I'm sure they call her Carolina. Carolina. Anyway, she, uh, <laughs> she, for me, I was 22 when I came up with her crazy rainbow effect. Mm-hmm. There was a different color she was on it earlier, but like I made massive adjustments to the way that she was colored. So I was a 22 year old in Photoshop designing this crazy special effect on a character I never thought I'd see on screen. So every time I see her light up, my heart just explodes. I, I'm just like, I love it. It's like, <laughs> It's like I just started like we started watching it and um around when it premiered and I was just like I hadn't actually read any of the comics. I have now, but like when I started the show, I was just like I just look at her like I look at my girlfriend, I look at her and I'm like, She's gay, gay, gay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Like I I just remember when I realized she was lesbian, I was like, Brian made a superhero that's a literal rainbow. It's <laughs> 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 so incredible. Yeah. It's great. I love, I, I, yeah. <laughs> I love the show because it's produced and uh, like created by like the same people who did the OC yes. and Gossip Girl. And I was like, this is the perfect fusion of superheroes and melodrama. Yeah. And I love it. So <laughs> of adaptations, it, it like that, Runaways was going to be a feature for a little while. And I remember we went in for a meeting and we just like heard some of the plans they had and Adrian, the artist and I were both like, and then the movie didn't happen. Instead they made Avengers, which was like understandable. Uh, And then the TV show was going to happen. And when I saw that uh, Josh and Stephanie were going to be show running it, I was just like, I need to flip a table. I'm so excited. It's like, they get it because that, like the thing with that comic is it's not really, I remember when I worked on it, I was like, I found the perfect book for me because it's not really a superhero book. It's a teen drama in the disguise of a superhero mm. book. Mm-hmm. And that's like my heart. So <laughs> I was just like, this is the best. They found the best yeah. team. And they like care so much about the source material. Like every time I see something that is directly a visual cue of, like to the comics, I like lose my mind. Like in the comic, <laughs> um, Molly wears all these animal hats. And that was me. Like, I came on board and Adrienne had her wearing these cute little cap with these pom-poms. And I used to wear these animal like beanies. And I sent <laughs> some pictures of the beanies and I was like, you should put Molly in an animal beanie, like the one that I have. And then from that point on, she wore nothing but animal beanies. So like when I see things like in the background or she's wearing a little animal beanie like, reference, or there's like a, in the background of her room, they've got some animal beanies around. I'm just like, Oh my God, that was 22 year old me. <laughs> it just makes me so happy. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Well, maybe at some point they can consult you. <laughs> they're they're all really cool. I've I've talked to them a little bit because they were so gracious and they were like when the first the show first came out, I was like so excited to tweet about it. Josh was just so sweet about it. So yeah, no, they're awesome. I'm I'm excited to see what they do with season two. And it's really crazy because Rainbow Rowell is writing for yes. right now, which is like so weird. She's so sweet because she's like a huge fan, and she and I have like become friends. Uh, because of the connection and everything. And she's just like, she's doing fantastic things on that book. And Chris is like 
an amazing artist and Matt is an incredible colorist. Like they've got a great team. And then like yeah. David LaFuente is going to be doing two <laughs> fill-in issues, which I'm excited about because he's like my white whale and I want it. There were multiple times where we almost worked together and all he ever wanted to do was work on Runaways. And I was like, of course you're working on Runaways now that I'm not coloring it. God damn it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's a lot of comic speak. Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, this is great. I have to say, like, I'm just really enjoying seeing Danny get so excited because I feel like uh, I feel like she often ends up letting me do a lot of the talking. It's nice to see her get really nerdy and into it. <laughs> but like, also though, when are we getting that magician's comic book that we were promised like a year ago? <laughs> you mean the one oh that God. was leaked to us by Henry? <laughs> I don't know oh the answer, God. but I follow the I artist like, on Instagram. So. Oh my God. Yeah, no, I'll be interested to see how that comes out. Cause I think my friend is editing that. Oh, cool. um, so yeah, I don't really have any details. Like I heard some stuff about it a little while ago and then I told Henry some stuff and then Henry, cause he knows people knows more. Like <laughs> you know, it's we've, we've heard a couple things here and there over the years. No. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I'm sure it'll be, I'm sure it'll be good. Um, There was definitely like one piece of art on the artist's Instagram that I was like, I am like 90% sure that that's Alice. Cause it was like for a secret project that I can't talk about. (laughs) And you're like, Oh, I know what you're talking about. There was also one that looked a lot like Elliot. I'm sitting there and I'm like, "Mm, there are some woods (laughs) and there are like magic looking characters in them. I, I am so curious to see, I don't know what you guys know about the comic and what I know or what I heard years ago might be completely wrong, but I'll be curious to see whether or not the characters look like ours or the book version. Cause Elliot's so different. Um, yeah. Yeah. In both, you know, so yeah, I'll be, I'll be curious. I'll be curious. <laughs> they're all, they're all pretty different in the books yes. actually. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I'll send you the the things that I found that that I suspect are magicians related afterward, and you can tell me what you think. Yeah, you need <laughs> to send those to me too, Clara. What the heck? Oh, I thought I, I thought I tagged you in them, but maybe I I was like trying to be circumspect for a while. Like, should I draw attention to this? Will people know? But whatever, we're past that. <laughs> so, I mean, the cool thing about the comic industry is secrets are so not as hardcore as they are anywhere else. Like, it's crazy. My husband works in games, and there are just times where he's like, I can't talk about anything. And I'm like, yeah, all hardcore. Because when I was in comics, it was just like, oh, I'm working on this. They haven't announced it yet, but whatever. <laughs> we, we try really hard not to, like, be a source of leaks on on this show um and you know i mean a lot of that is just a respect thing like we don't we don't want to yeah. create any trouble for people but we asked henry if that was something that we were supposed to know and he was like i don't think it's a secret and the very next episode we had lev on and he's like oh my god what a terrible thing to leak <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Damn it, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we, we should we should probably turn at least to TV, if not to all the way to the magicians. Danny, I think you have the next question, so I will. Oh yeah. Okay, so what made you decide to start working on television? And do you think you'd ever go back to comics? I actually comics I will never fully leave, I don't think. Uh, I just did a year-long run with Marvel doing Generation X last year. But that was way too much to do that monthly and season two or season three of The Magicians. So I'm positive that I will keep going back to comics. Like I'm working on a creator owned right now that I'm like basically outlining slash 
um, talking to people that I want to work with. Um, but like the thing that brought me to television specifically, I, when I wrote my web comic, uh, the Fox sister, I structured it like a feature. And I just thought like, I live in Los Angeles cause my husband works in video games. And I was like, if I want to write, I could definitely write comics and I know how to do that. But what else could I write? Because like, from what I understand, you should write everything cause you want to write, you know, uh, you want to take as many jobs as possible because it can be really hard making a living as a writer. Mm-hmm. So I started taking screenwriting classes and initially I was like, I'm going to do features. Cause my biggest problem with comics is like when I work on Thor 609, it's like 609, you know, yeah. I don't want to be a cog in a machine for the rest of my life. Uh, I want to do something that has a beginning, a middle and an end. And it feels like it's actually heading somewhere. And so for years I was like, I'm doing movies. And then all my friends were like, you know, you're totally a TV person. And I was like, <laughs> you know what you're talking about? I'm a movie person. And then I started writing, um, you know, spec scripts and pilots. And I was just like, God damn it. I'm a TV person. <laughs> so I just realized that like, it was just, um, years of being in serialized storytelling had definitely prepped me for that. But the problem that I was having on some of the comics that I was working on was just that I was on them for like six issues at a time. So I didn't have any emotional like attachment mm-hmm. to them, but a show like the magicians is great. Cause we're, you know, 13 episodes and I am emotionally attached to every single one of them. So yeah. in that case, <laughs> it works perfectly for me because I have the sensibility for it. And my favorite thing is just character exploration and TV lends itself to that. Um, a little more than <laughs> a lot more than features do not that, you know what I mean? It just keeps going. So, uh, it took me a little bit, but I would say a few years into the writing, I just realized I was like, TV is definitely where I need to be. Like features are fun to write, but mm-hmm. television is, I'm a TV person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I went on a voyage of self-discovery and that was what it was. <laughs> So, I mean, you had said this a little bit before when, when you talked about, like, uh, writing the pilot for Fox Sister. Um, mm-hmm. But is there a specific story about how you got involved with the magicians versus, like, other things? Was it something that you applied for or were there people that you knew? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I got a manager and basically based off of Fox Sister, they kind of had an idea of the type of writing that I wanted to do. And, like, you know, as a baby writer, you're like, I just want a job. I will do anything. The, the thing I had going for me was that Fox sister was a, um, it had a lot of action in it and it was genre. So the, the thing I was saying like repeatedly was like, I just, I really want to be in drama. So what happened at that point was my managers contacted me and they were like, we have this, there's an opening They're They're looking for writers on a show, uh, a new show at the time. Uh, I think maybe one or two episodes had been out called, magicians for season two is they're based on books and i was like i read those books yes i totally want to go for that job the books are amazing so um basically like the opportunity presented itself and i was a fan of the books so they sent fox sister as my sample and that got me in my interview with john and sarah and i was like convinced i didn't get the job and then i did (laughs) so it was great (laughs) so so talk to us about that talk to us about your relationship with the books because obviously if you well, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast before, but if you have, it's pretty obvious that Danny and I are book fans and that that's sort of how we came to it, too. I love fantasy. Um, it's funny. Henry and I, I feel like Henry and I had the same childhood. <laughs> uh, my favorite genre, actually, to be very specific, like David Reed 
is a ginormous Star Trek fan. Yeah. Like he loves we fantasy and all that stuff. But exactly. <laughs> I've heard that conversation. Plus, I just hear him in the room all the time. So, he, uh, but me, I have always been specifically a fantasy fan, like mm. high fantasy and grounded fantasy and urban fantasy. Like that's my thing. So I read those books and I just really liked them because I understood a lot of the references that were being made uh, in the book. Uh, and I just was like, this, this book is my thing. And then on top of that, I weirdly enough, I was friends with Leah Fong who worked on season one. So I knew a little bit of, I knew the show was coming because she had worked on it. Uh, so it was, it was just like a crazy thing where I had read the books a little bit earlier. I knew the show was coming. They were like, do you want to be on it? And I was like, yes. And then I reread them. So I knew what the hell I was talking about. Cause I have the memory of a sieve. Uh, and that was it. Like I just, fantasy is my jam. Like if I had to pick a genre to live in, it would stick in the fantasy realm. <laughs> So the show is like perfect for me. <laughs> That's great. I I've always liked fantasy as well. It's yeah. I feel like it's just one of the better genres to escape. Yeah, yeah. I think that was the thing. Like when I was a kid, I loved Dragonlance. I was like a total nerd for those. You know, anything that had cool magic and magical creatures in it was my thing. Like sci-fi was okay. Sure, whatever. <laughs> I want some magical creatures and magic. Damn it. So yeah. The magicians like kind of lent itself to everything that I was into, um, and it was fun to read because I was like, "Oh, this is great." <laughs> yeah. Fantasy is definitely my favorite. It's even my favorite when it comes to like video games. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will give. I made Henry play The Last of Us recently. I oh, that's zombies too. Because <laughs> zombies are like my my horror thing. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah, no, totally. Um, fantasy is just the best. <laughs> the best color palette it's amazing <laughs> yeah the last of us 2 looks pretty rad i'm so excited for it i'm like i'm just so excited for it because i think it's probably some of the best uh storytelling in games and forever really neil Druckmann's amazing but i'm a, sorry i keep taking us <laughs> off the topic of Oh, we do. Yeah. We do this all the time don't worry you're, you're getting uh, help i think <laughs> i know i just <laughs> I'm really excited for video games coming out, like Kingdom Hearts, another one. I mean, I've been waiting 15 years for that fucking game, so... That's the thing. I loved Kingdom Hearts <laughs> 1, and I played 2, and I'm like... I just look at it, and I'm like, I'm not fucking replaying a million games for the 15 years that it took for this game to come out. Because then, like, they did all those Game Boy games, and all. I was just like, I can't keep up with this. There's only a few that are, like, actually important and worth playing, and that would probably be, like, the prequel on Birth by Sleep, and then uh, there's this one that ties together two and three called Dream Drop Distance. And you get to play as Riku, and he's literally the best to play with. Like, he is so fucking overpowered that it's amazing. Okay, okay. Four games. <laughs> Danny sent her a list, but but we should get a little back on topic. <laughs> yeah, I love it. We 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 do this quite often. Yes. <laughs> All right, you're man. up. <laughs> okay, so a lot of writers we've talked to uh, have fairly distinctive voices or things that they're particularly known for in the writers' room. For example, like Henry has written a lot of close adaptation episodes and mike has worked on a few pocket or parallel universe episodes uh what do you think your specialty is and what makes your episodes unique so i've heard this question on their their <laughs> episodes 
And I just had this moment where I was like, that's a good question. What is my thing? My first thought is I draw on cards in the room all the time, but that does not actually help the show. Um, it's weird because I write the episodes that are assigned to me. And the thing that I noticed after writing Art of the Deal is I tend to get crazy big episodes. Hmm. Between Plan B, a bank heist, um, you know, Julia's confrontation with Reynard, which was crazy, in uh, Ramifications, which was season uh, two, episode 12, and then, you know, the red dinner party in uh, Art of the Deal in season three. Like, I tend to get these weirdly pivotal big confrontation episodes or just like hijinks ensue. Um, You're really good at writing ensemble. I love ensemble. Like that's my jam, honestly. Mm. Thank you for, there we go. That's my thing. I like doing ensemble. The other thing, um, I guess that like, it's so weird because I just see myself as like one of the younger writers. So I'm like, I'll do anything you give me and I'll do it my best. So, but yeah, I like writing the ensembles a lot and I really enjoy it when I get a new character to create. Like writing Hades was so much fun because <sighs> they gave me Hades and they were like, here's the idea behind the scene. And then I'm like, here's a four page scene that I wrote that I had a great time writing. And then like, it just, I was, the day we shot it, I was just like, oh my God, he makes my words so good. Did you die when they cast my, Michael Loya yes. from Hamilton? Because when I saw, first of all, I, I saw his tape one night after we, you know, like we had been shooting all day. I saw his tape and I was like, I think he's good. But then I saw it the next morning when I was actually bright eyed, mushy tailed. And I was like, I just watched that thing three times in a row because he's so good. <laughs> we need him. Can we please get him? And then like... He was so delightful, guys. Oh my my favorite thing in the entire world is when I meet, like, I don't, I actually don't love meeting actors only because I like to keep a separation of church and state. Like, I don't want to know if you're not nice. <laughs> if I love your character, I just want to love you. And I want to love you from a distance. It's like, please so don't I, be a dick. <laughs> exactly. So when I met him and he turned out to be this like super sweet, quiet, huge old Zelda nerd, I died. I, like, had to keep it professional, but, like, I'd, like, round a corner and just be like, oh, he's so cute. And when I say cute, I just mean sweet, not gross. But, like, you know, I was just like, he is, like, such a nice person. And he was, like, so, like. So pure? So pure. Like, he was just happy to be there. He was, like, the guy has such stage presence, but he's not, like. Sometimes you you might imagine that somebody who just commands a stage is, like, a commanding person. But he's just, like, so nice and, like, a quiet nerd from what I saw. And I was just like, I wish I could write you in every episode because you were just delightful. Um, You're very nice and you're just freaking good. There was, like, not a a bad take. Um, So, yeah, I loved him so deeply. Um, But there, like, I've been lucky enough to create a bunch of characters on the show and, like, I think that's probably one of my favorite things when they give me a blank canvas and they're just like, make them a person. And then like that happens. And then I meet, you know, a super delightful actor and I'm just like my heart. (laughs) So, yeah. I was thinking for like existing characters too, that uh, you've taken reins for like, you do a really fantastic job writing for Katie. Like I feel like some of her best moments are in your episodes Um, and Julia's as well. I love both of them. I mean, I honestly love all of the characters on the show. Um, Julia is an interesting one because, like, season two, I got a lot of good stuff with her and Katie. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, those two, two, those two episodes in particular, I was just like, these two have got so they're so cool and they're so different and they work so well together. Um, I just 
love it because Julia is like one of those flawed characters that it's so easy to judge. And mm-hmm. so it takes a lot to kind of like, I remember when a lot of people were kind of salty towards her character <laughs> in season two, but it's like, if you take a second to be empathetic to what she's been through, you can't blame her for any of the decisions that she's made. Cause she's just trying to survive and trying to get by. Well, so it was, yeah. yeah. And let's be yeah. real. Like 90% of the, the like, shit that Julia gets is just straight up sexism. <laughs> totally. And so like, it's great being able to write a character like that where we're allowed to just write her as she should be instead of like softening her to make yeah. other people happy. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. just a pleasure to do that. And then Katie, I just like freaking understand on a fundamental level. Cause Katie's just like, aside from the heroine, I'm just the whole, <laughs> like, she's like, I'm just going to do what I fucking got to do, man. Just get it done. I'm like, I get you. <laughs> like, was I totally understand that. Was Plan B the episode that had that, like, great scene of them being, like, old lesbian lovers um, with, like, Katie getting the groceries for Julia? Yes. Uh, I love that <laughs> scene so much. It was so, it, it made my heart complete. <laughs> my yeah. favorite thing in the entire world is, like, I have this this thing that I say where it's, like, the best romance is a bromance. Yes. And I mean it beyond just dudes. Like, friendship, deep, dark, like, deep friendships are my favorite thing in the entire world because it's just, like... I personally think that this is, the, this is my personal opinion, but I'm like, and I say this all the time, I'm like Margot and Elliot are soulmates. You can't oh, yeah. tell me anything else. <laughs> like those two have this soul bond that I firmly believe in. Um, oh yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, <laughs> did you get the pickles is probably the line that I like remember most from the magicians, which is weird. It's a good line. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I've talked about it a couple times on the podcast before, but I'm I'm always just like hoping that like with Katie and Julia, they pull like a a core and a Sami, and like eventually they just walk off into the sun to set together, aka Fillory, probably. <laughs> oh my god, I'm just imagining the sunset being Fillory in general for anybody where it's like we walk off into the sunset, and then there's just a bunch of animals that are like. Up, humble drums there, ready with some. Yeah. You know. <laughs> He's with ready to fray. hang out with you at the bar. Yeah. <laughs> <Hey> Margo. <laughs> All right. So, um, when you're writing an episode, how do you approach it? Like, what is your process like when you're when you're writing? I sit there and hate myself for a little bit, and then, <laughs> um, so far, weirdly, in the last few seasons, it's actually been different. Um. I feel like such a baby writer, but I don't think I'm alone in this. I think that like all writers kind of adjust how they're, they write like, you know, according to the script and according to the project and time. I have this thing that I do that probably is a holder from comics. I write the scenes I'm most excited about first, instead of holding off and letting them be like treats at the end. I do them first because the thing that I find is if I write a scene that I absolutely hate first, I will spend seven days on it and then the script will be due. And it's like, Oh, I've written nothing else. <laughs> so I tend to try to, to attack it from a, like, I ha- I want to write the scenes that I like know exactly what to do with, to do them, to get the, the best of myself out in them and then make sure that I don't like live in the misery of a scene that's difficult. <laughs> so that's my process. Like I just kind of like, I'm sure you've heard on the show, we do the outline and then we go to script. And for me, a lot of it is just, I, you know, by the time that I've written the outline, I kind of understand what the episode is. And then whatever I don't understand, 
I just have to write that scene like seven times until I get a version of it that works for me. So that's mm-hmm. why like some of the more difficult scenes I have to save for to the end because it's like I got to do like three iterations of them, mm. you know, and if I did those first time, I might do 20. Um, and then you just kind of work your way through it. But yeah, like I find that my process is still ever evolving according to the script. Like the one that I just did for season four, I've never – the way I wrote that one, I've never done for any other script um, that is specific to that episode, so I can't talk about it. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to talk to you about it when that episode airs. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, sure. Let's do it. I can definitely talk about it then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so of the episodes that you've written, Plan B, Ramifications, and The Art of the Deal, which was your favorite? Oh, man. It's funny. I'm going to pick two. For two different reasons. Okay. Cheating, but okay. I I know it's totally cheating, but I think you'll understand. Plan B is probably my favorite just because it's a freaking bank heist and that's insane. (laughs) It was just, and there was never a moment in writing that script that wasn't fun. That being said, I feel like Art of the Deal is probably my favorite that I wrote because I felt like writing it, uh, like I had any, I, like, I kind of felt like I knew what I was doing for the first Mm -hmm. time. Like the first, um, plan B and God, I sound like I have zero (laughs) self-esteem. Plan B was my first television script that I ever wrote. So I had a great time writing it. It was, I'm like so glad I was assigned that one because all of the fear that I had that I was going to get fired, like melted just because it was so much fun to do. Um, (laughs) And then I think that like when I got Art of the Deal, there was a certain amount of like, there was so much stuff happening in that episode that it was like kind of a higher level of difficulty. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I think I can do this. I think I can do this and it's going to be stressful and I can do it. And by the time I, I, like, I, I wrote it, I was like happy with what I did. So that's why I would say the two of them mm-hmm. are slight, like, like I, yeah. I feel bad saying that I have two favorites, but they're two very different feelings. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's crazy to me to think that Plan B was your first television episode because it's, I mean, it's so it good so and it's good. so fun. And Thank you. Can you imagine getting assigned that episode as your first? Like, I just had a moment where I was in the room and I was petrified. And I was just like, they, they gave me the, they gave me the best episode. What have they done? Like, why did <laughs> they do that? Like, oh my God. But I, th- I mean, so, yeah. I think it makes sense. Like what Danny was saying about the ensemble episodes. I know that was the first one for you, but right. Like as a comic artist, you're constantly juggling a lot of characters, especially if you did superhero comics. And like a bank heist is a lot yeah. like a superhero battle. Well, the real reason I was assigned that episode was because I was the one who pitched the Mudong priestesses. And I'm, I pitched two uh, Korean characters. So we were like, <laughs> You should write that. You pitched in your Korean. So, uh, and on top of that, I had a very specific image in my head of how I wanted them to be because, like, I, like I said, I grew up in Korea, yeah. and uh, those priestesses are very specific to Korea. So, I wanted them to be Korean-speaking, like immigrants. And I had like my mom do the translations for me. Like oh, I was cool. like hell bent on this being Korean. And then Sarah was so amazing. Because she went out of her way to cast LA actresses who were fantastic because they spoke Korean. So mm-hmm. I was just like, I like every part of my heart was like in that episode because it was just like so many things that I wanted just came into play. It was great. It was oh, fun. and then you and then you had the K-pop playing right when LA yeah. did the disco. <laughs> it was it was fun, man. It was it was a fun episode. Like <laughs> I was just like, how did I get assigned this? 
thank God I pitched Korean characters. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but let's talk about the other one now because Art of the Deal is like such an intense episode, like the most intense episode. (laughs) And I mean, obviously there's the red dinner party, but I think for me, the fairy queen speech was like even more affecting. And part of that is, is because the way Candace Kane plays her, she's always so measured and calculating, but you can like feel this deep well of rage in like every word that she says in that speech. So I kind of wanted to just ask you where that where that came from and what you wanted viewers to take away from, from that scene and from that episode. So that was a crazy scene to be assigned because you're right. It is, it's a very intense scene. And I was like, I don't want to make it super cheesy and over the top and crazy, but I also wanted it to be understood that like, this was her diaspora and she had no idea, you know, like we are the same, but clearly we're not the same. And I think that being um, a Korean American, I call myself 1.5 gen because I grew up overseas, but like I wrote that from a place of understanding that like there are commonalities when there aren't. Um, mm-hmm. She, you know, she wanted to, to save her people in a way that she didn't know she had to. So she had a lot of, she had to like, empower them without exposing how emotional she was about the situation. Mm. And it was incredible because on the day when we shot it, talking to Candace, Candace was so, so excited because she was like, you know, how should I play this? I was like, play it emotional. And I was like, I mean, you know, the fairy Queens measured emotional, but this is, this is definitely going to be the most emotional scene for you up until this point, because the fairy queen has been such a, you know, she has like such a tough mask and she's so, you know, inscrutable. But I was like, in this instance, because she's in front of her people and this is so much for her to process, if that comes through, that's okay. And Candace was just amazing because she did, you know, every take that she did it was slightly different. So she gave us so much to work with so that we were able to build it in a way that was like ideal for what we were trying to do. And she was just so goddamn good. Like watching her on the screen, I was just like, uh, <laughs> and I've been a fan of Candace Kane's for years. Like she's incredible. Years. She <laughs> is mind-blowingly like she's like Michael she has that stage presence you know and then on top of that she's like a sweet person and you know she's a trailblazer and a fucking like activist and she's just incredible on so many goddamn levels and then on top of that she's a sweet person and I was just like (laughs) younger fan me is just blown away this is probably the most like starstruck I have been on this show so far uh just because Candace Kane has been like a uh, an incredible figure, you know, like not in my life, but like in my head for years, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it was really cool. And I am such a nerd. <laughs> I just, I just feel like we were taking for such a ride this last season. Yeah. Like, I mean, we all started like fucking hating the fairies, just like fuck the fairies. And it's just like ended just so differently. Yeah. I think at that's the end one of the season. I think that's one of the things that I love the most about the show, working on the show. We, We like to ask ourselves constantly, you know, why is this person this way? Like, what is the actual origin of their trauma? And I think that, like, I think it was more of a happy accident than anything else that, like, you know, what the fairies do to people um, is basically what people have done to them. That's the origin of them, like, you know, taking eyes and limbs and pieces, because that is historically what is the trauma that has been done to them. So, like, 
it was really freaking cool when we, you know, we got to a point where we fully understood them as characters because it's, it's so easy to judge somebody without a full understanding. And our show allows, you know, us to explore that and like show characters for who they really are over, you know, a lengthy amount of time so that you can go through the full, you can process it and feel, um, all the emotions we want you to, because like part of the reason that I think that speech works so well is you have, it has nothing to do with my writing and everything to do with like the season. You had all these feelings about her. And in that moment you were watching her for the first time struggle with emotion because you are, she is seeing as you are seeing what has been done to her. So you're feeling guilty about like all your feelings towards the fairies and at the same time, you're seeing how much it hurts her and how much she's had to overcome. And you're just understanding that as she is, you know, giving this speech and all of, you know, you're witnessing what's happening to uh, Edwin's, like, you know, the, what Edwin's doing to the other fairy in the lab and, you know, what Fen's witnessing. It's just, it's like a really, it was a cool moment to get to write because we had all worked so hard to get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you got to give yourself some credit, though, because if you I feel like all, well, all that's true, if you didn't understand that on like a deep visceral level, there's no way it would have come through. Like, oh, thank you. That could have been really cheesy and it wasn't. It was just very moving. So uh, it was like it does have it was to do with such... your writing a little at least. <laughs> I just feel so lucky to be on the show because everybody who I think one of the best things about being on The Magicians is that like everybody is so goddamn good. It just makes you want to be better. Um I, I, like I, I've learned so much in the last three years from every single person there uh, in one way, shape or form. And I just like, I just constantly strive to be as good as them. And I'm just like, you guys, why are you so good? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think uh, I, I, the bar is high, but I think you meet it very easily. So, <laughs> um, sure. okay, Danny, you're the next question, right? Oh yeah. So like how many, drafts of the episodes did you go through and what was your editing process like and how did you know when you'd hit the right balance so it's weird I have a hard time keeping track of drafts because I am the most disorganized person when it comes to file names I do this thing where I'm like draft one point one point two point three point three point five um it's terrible basically what I do is the first draft that I turn into um you know John, Sarah, Henry, David, and all of them to look at. I probably do, I don't do like two whole drafts. What I do is every scene has been written at least twice, if not five times. Hmm. Because what ends up happening is there are certain scenes like, okay, so in Art of the Deal, here's a perfect example. Art of the Deal, the first scene I wrote in that episode, because I knew it immediately, I knew exactly how it was going to play out, was the Sylvia Penny scene where she hugs him, he gives her the card and she hugs him. And I wrote that scene once and was done. I didn't have to rewrite it again. I knew exactly how it was going to play out. And weirdly enough, I don't think that scene changed ever. I think that scene stayed. But then there Mm -hmm. are other scenes in that episode that like I rewrote up to five times before I turned it in. And then when you turn it in, they give you a round of corrections. You do a round of corrections and then you turn it in. Sometimes you do two or three drafts before uh, Sarah and John take it and make whatever additions they need to. But this show is incredible because like the majority of the time you turn in your final version of a draft and they add a few lines and they let it go. Like they're so good at giving us notes as to what they want. And then I think that like, you know, as a, a writer's room, our writer's room as a whole, we all like beat ours. I think every writer on that show beats themselves up just enough to like 
work so hard that it's like, here it is. And they're like, oh, great. It's what we wanted. <laughs> it's like, I worked so hard. <laughs> so yeah, it's hard for me to say because I'm never good at pinpointing. I know some writers are like, I do five drafts and these are what each one of them are. I just write a scene until it feels like it, it's right um, is what it comes down to for me. Like if I read a scene and I feel something when I write it, I know I'm on the right track. And then I just write it until I feel like this is the correct version of this. Turn it in. Cool. So yeah. But then there's also a deadline. So there's a point where it's just like, <laughs> here it is. I tried so hard. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, um, I'm a boring kind of writer. I'm a, I write in-app copy and like technical documentation. But I, I still find that like there's, there's a certain point where I'm like tweaking and tweaking and tweaking. And then you have to yeah. let it go because there's a deadline. And it's like a year before I can look at anything again after that. It's like it has exactly. to be out of my life. <laughs> Exactly. The ones that are really difficult for me, it's so weird because I'll turn in a draft and there will be two scenes that I feel like I just didn't execute correctly. And I'll be like, this draft is terrible. Oh. <laughs> because there's like two scenes that like, I just like tweaked it, tweaked it and tweaked it. And I'm like, something's not right. And then inevitably like John, Sarah and Henry will figure out what's not right about it. And then I'll go fix it. But like, yeah, I know. Yeah. Like there are just times where I'm just like, I've tweaked this scene 10 times. <laughs> it's never good enough. <laughs> oh, it's mm-hmm. they're, they're always good enough. Take it from us. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank um, you. Okay. So be- before we go to listener questions, um, we like to ask all the writers that we have on, uh, you answered this a little bit when we were talking about comics, but um, what you like mm-hmm. t- to read which fantasy I gather some of it and what you're reading right now. So, Oh man. So right now I'm not reading a ton because I'm working. Right. Fair <laughs> enough. I have a child. So it's crazy. Cause having a kid put a damper on a lot of my activities, but, uh, in this most recent hiatus, I read, Oh, rainbow row is so nice. She sent me a bunch of her books and I read, um, it's the one that comes after fangirl. I'm just blanking on the expression. Oh, carry on. Carry yes. On. Yeah. Like, I, like, I know what book the it is. The second one's going to be I'm having the second one's gonna be called Wayward Son. I wrote her and I was screaming. I was like, Rainbow, <laughs> Rainbow, you did carry on my wayward son. Are you going to keep going with the lyrics? <laughs> and she just laughed at me and I was just like, I see what you did there. Um, <laughs> Me and everyone else, but still, I'm going to scream at you because I'm really, I think that's hilarious. Uh, so I read Carry On, and then I read her short story uh, around Midnight Book. I can't remember the exact title, but she had a, a book that came out, a novella that had like two short stories in it that was really good. Then I read The King Killer Chronicles, this most recent uh, break, and like, yeah, that's it on the books as high it is. Oh, oh, my friend's book, Sleeper. I feel so dumb. My friend Mackenzie Cadenhead wrote a YA book called Sleeper that I also read recently that I really liked. Read Sleeper. It's good. (laughs) Will do. It's Heather's meets Inception. It's very... Uh, very Okay, I'm 100% into that. (laughs) You should go about it. It's great. (laughs) So for my 30th birthday party, um, I did a like... Uh, a sleepover a la the kind that you do when you're 13. Um, yes. And in the morning, so we watched like Mean Girls before we went to bed at like midnight with like 15 of my friends on my like tiny living room floor in grad school. Um, <laughs> and then when we woke up, we watched Heather's and there was there were like, 
ex- there were cut scenes, but they didn't actually film them. So they just had like the script on the DVD extras. So we did a oh dramatic, we did like a table read of the extra scenes in That's the morning. Amazing. It was fantastic over waffles. <laughs> That is amazing. I first saw Heather's when I was 13, when I was like, okay, this is like a super, this is like a really embarrassing and also kind of sad story. But like when I was like 12 or 13 and I I really didn't fit in and I went to middle school in LA where like being a weird nerdy kid is not at all okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Because everyone is like pretty and shiny and I don't know, rich. Uh, (laughs) And so I had, I like had been going through this really hard time and apparently decided that I was going to just like go to school one day and present myself as my long lost twin cousin because I didn't know how genetics worked, I guess. Um, (laughs) And so I did this. I like went to the registrar's office and tried to register myself as a different student. Um, And they like called my dad and were like, you should maybe pick Clara up. She's like going through a thing. And he took, me home and like we on the walk home because I lived like half a mile from school he was just like we're just gonna go in blockbusters and he grabs Heather's off the shelf and he says this is what we're doing with the rest of our day (laughs) perfect parenting style (laughs) oh that's incredible because like that you saw the movie at the right time I totally did (laughs) oh my god I love that movie so much like it's so fantastic so good god damn dude I like yeah, I totally, I totally get that. This is all comic book stuff again, but like the Gen X mini I wrote uh, last year was totally like a love letter to teenage me because <laughs> it's all about these mutants that are just not battle ready and not going to be X Men and how Aww. they're total outcasts and they don't fit in. And then it's like family, like it just it was yeah that's my jam right there (laughs) like kid who just didn't fit in because I was totally like I completely identify with that story (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I don't truly understand people who like fit in in middle school except that my husband is one of them and I do understand how he fit in middle school fit in in middle school because he told me that he like made the conscious choice to give up video games and RPGs because he thought it would make him unpopular. I know. I judge yeah. him for this. I, basically, like, you just, like, some people just are easier, like, they're easier at following other people. So they're just yeah. like, oh, like, I'm just going to do whatever is cool or just or just do enough to kind of, like, not be noticed. Yeah. Yeah. I think my saving grace in high school was that I, I got to a point where I just, clearly didn't care if they were going to pick on me yeah. and I just kept going. So then it was like hard to make me fodder. Like then I became like middle, like kind of floating under the fray. Cause I just didn't let it get to me enough that yeah. it was worth it. You know, then you were lucky school. that didn't happen to me till college. <laughs> in middle school, I, in middle school, I didn't fit in like at all. And I acted out a lot and was just very angry. And then like, I think I got to this point where, where like, when I was in high school, I just didn't give a fuck anymore. So it was like, I was untouchable. (laughs) Exactly. Like I just, I think I, I got to a point where I was like, Oh, you're going to call me, you're going to call me a nerd and say like comics, video games. And like, yeah, what about it? And it was like, (laughs) Oh, okay. I guess she's that girl. (laughs) I was like, yeah, deal with it. What do you care? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. High school. (laughs) Well, our last uh, question, and we ask this to everyone. Before well, not our last question, questions, question, yeah. but before we move on to other people's questions, <laughs> what is your Hogwarts house? Hufflepuff. 
I knew it. I was thinking that as I was writing the writing up the script, I'm like, she's got to be a Hufflepuff. <laughs> I I definitely, if I were a Harry Potter character, I would definitely have died before the end of the of the books, like most Hufflepuffs. And then at the same time, I would have been super awkward, and I like to call myself the most useful of the useless. <laughs> So I am totally a thousand percent a Hufflepuff. So yeah. <laughs> I like that. The most useful of the useless. That sounds like yep. Neville though, who, who, that, well, technically no. a Gryffindor is kind of a Hufflepuff. <laughs> if, if you're going to talk Hufflepuff characters, like the most useful one was Ernie McMillan, who led the like resistance and of when uh, all of the like main characters weren't attending Hogwarts yeah. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, like, if you think back to, like, some of the more popular Hufflepuffs, it's just, like, like Tonks and Cedric. It's like, what was their destiny? Yeah. They died. Oh. <laughs> they're the red shirts, they, except for they're the yellow Neville shirts. Married, exactly. Neville married a Hufflepuff. Hannah Abbott. Or... That's because Neville. Puberty was good to him. <laughs> <laughs> he got <That's>... it. <laughs> <laughs> On that nice. note. Time for some listener questions. And actually, these are, I don't know, these are equal. They're like weirdly appropriate or inappropriate as the case may be. Um, so we got a lot of questions from lis- listeners. But like, to be honest, most of them boiled down to, will Margot get a girlfriend or will either Margot or Quentin come out as bisexual? So I know you like can't get into specifics about season four, but I thought I would ask if you could like shed some light on Margot or Quentin's sexuality as you see it. Uh, So... Like, this is just my perspective. Yep. I, like, I wrote one of the most LGBT, like, X-books in the last few years. Like, I love the fact that our show just kind of looks at everybody as fluid. It's just like, you know, if, if this is what they are into, then this is what they are into. Who gives a shit? So I have, like, I, you know, as an executive story editor and not the showrunner. Like I can't, you know, say who somebody's sexual, what somebody's sexuality is, but I can just say that like, I do enjoy being in that room and being able to just pitch, pitch anything. You know, if if it makes sense for the character, that's really all that matters for us. And that is super refreshing. Um, yeah, yeah, it's really nice. Like Henry wrote Marina, you know, likes chicks and it was great. Cause I was like, yes, Henry. Yes. <laughs> so you know, like stuff I mean, like that. that was obvious. No, I completely agree. But not all shows would do that. You know what I yeah. mean? Like yeah, some no, shows would just be like, "Do we need to? Like, do we, I, do we need to?" I literally fucking love that. Like everybody on the show is just so fluid. Like they just yeah. don't care. Like the thing Everyone's is, is like queer. I know people. I know people want the validation and they want it to be said out loud. Yeah. But I'm like, do you, do you need it to be? Because, I mean, it's obvious that Quentin is bisexual. It is obvious that, like, Margot has feelings for both sexes. Yes. Um, I, Mar- I just think there's a fluidity to most of them. Well, yes. and I think, and like, like, another... Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, I mean, I- we've talked about this with Lev. Like, yeah. But I think, like, another way to look at it, too, is that, like, gender just does not matter on this show or in these books, right? Like, that's – it's just irrelevant to how people view relationships and how they, like, end to their sexuality. And I think that that's, that's, like, a really powerful representation thing, too, to say, like, hey, it's – it's not about, like, this person is into this gender and this gender and whatever else. It's just, like, who the fuck cares what your gender is? (laughs) Totally. And the other thing that I absolutely love about the way that we approach this is we don't talk about these stories from any perspective than 
I believe this character would do this. Everything is so deeply rooted in these characters and who they are and what they would and would not do and what they, you know, what their arcs are that everything else is a byproduct of that. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, Elliot and Quentin have a relationship that is correct for those characters. Like, yeah. it, you know, it, it came out of what was built between them. And it feels true and it feels honest. And that's honestly all we give a shit about. Like, we just want to write characters and we want to write, you know, arcs for them that feel true, honest, and revealing of who they are as people. And that's just the perspective that we take, which is part of the reason that, like, you know, to me, I just look at it as this is a very fluid show in terms of gender and sex or, you know, and and sexuality. It is just all we care about is what are we writing for this character and who is this character and what are, you know, what do they want, need, and, you know, how would they proceed? Mm-hmm. So our other listener question revolves around Margot's female friendships. She's had some trouble maintaining friendships with other women on the show. Why do you think that is? And will we get to see her relationships with women and particularly her relationship with Fen evolve in season four? I will definitely say that she and Fen, obviously, I mean, where we left her off, Obviously, you're going to see more with Margot and Fenn in the next season, and that's about all I can say about that. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of her friendship, this is interesting because we've had this conversation in the room. De- Margot definitely has not been... She has a hard time maintaining friendships with anybody, in all perfect mm-hmm. honesty. Like, yeah. if you look at it, the only person that she has been relatively consistent in her friendship with is Elliot, which is part of the reason I'm just like, they're soulmates. They're broken in the exact same way, and they understand each other and when not to push. Um, which is part of the reason that I think they work so well together. They just get each other on a fundamental level. Um, Mm -hmm. But Margot is, she's not a character that is as open to friendships as everybody might be. You know, it is just, that is who she is. She's not a person that like, um, she's not somebody who's like super buddy, buddy with everybody and warm. And, you know, that's just not who she is. Um, And I obviously I can't really talk about what we do with her next season because spoilers, but like, you're not wrong about that about her character. I'll say that. <laughs> I don't see it as necessarily an issue. Like, of course, I want to see her on screen with other females, but it's just like that's just her. And I feel yeah. like that was also very much her in the books. It was. It's not a deviation from that. Like, she yeah. is a very solitary human being, and I mean, she likes to have fun and she likes to party, and I feel like that's where most of her social interaction comes from. Yeah. Um, but. She's not someone who maintains female friendships well, probably because there's some... She's just, like, one of those females that kind of has a little bit of hostility towards other females. She does. I think my personal thought, some of that probably stems from the fact that Margot is not particularly the most emotional person. She struggles with vulnerability (laughs) a lot. She does not handle vulnerability at all. That's like, she and Elliot don't have to always be that way with each other. And I think that, like... You know, I, this can be a total stereotype, but, like, I'm definitely more vulnerable with some of my female friends because of the conversations that we have at, on an emotional level, as is not Margot. Like, that's not who she is. And I think that if you were to go off of that, like, concept and what, you know, a female friend might want or need from her in order to maintain that friendship, I don't know that Margot is the most willing to give that, you know, like, offer that yeah. to somebody. So, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, no, it's, it's a completely correct observation of her character, and it is definitely something that we... Um, I've talked about in the room. Yeah. 
our other listener questions said what was going on with Alice slash Cassandra and whether Finn would get to stab <laughs> someone in season four. People really want that, apparently. <laughs> I just want to say I started that. <laughs> uh, so, Cassandra, I can't say anything about... Uh, and I would not read into that because we have not finished breaking the season. So I just, like, you know, I, it could go any, any way. Um, <laughs> Finn stabbing people. I'd love to see it too. Maybe we will. Who knows? She's the Baker's daughter. Uh, Brittany's great. Brittany is so much fun. Um, oh I feel like we gave her that knife and she discovered herself. <laughs> I, I just think that I'm going to feel personally wronged if Todd and and Fen don't end up together. I heard that you love them. Oh they yeah, so funny. I, They're I mean, like I the perfect couple. Todd. Let's be real. <laughs> I love Todd so much that it's, it's a problem. You're but. not alone. We all <laughs> love him. We all actually have Todd shirts. We I know. Heard. We saw it because Henry was wearing it. Where's my Todd shirt? <laughs> I know. I want a Todd shirt. That reminds me. I have Henry to send you your this. We were all like, this is amazing. <laughs> he's going to think, like, he's our favorite. But maybe he is. I don't know. <laughs> it's the, the dark horse favorite. <laughs> he probably is kind of like our room mascot. Honestly, <laughs> he's like the cat that y'all adopted last year. Oh, Rupert Catwin. <laughs> um, Todd kind of reminds me of like when you're reading like a fanfic and it's like that self insert character. Like he reminds yeah. me of that. Like because <laughs> he's just there just to be there. You know what? That that is all Adam. And I, I know I've heard like David talk about it, but literally like we'll see Adam, like, you know, we'll watch dailies and see Adam and just be like, Oh my God, he's so funny. I don't even know if he knows how funny he is. (laughs) (laughs) He's just fun to write. (laughs) Yeah. I think he was telling us like, what is, we had him on and we were like, we were so excited about it. We called it Todd on pod. Uh, (laughs) It finally happened. And he was basically just saying like, he's just like on call cause he like lives in Vancouver and he just like waits for the call to like come in as Todd. Like, <laughs> he's like, what do you need me to do now? It's like lie over there in a puddle. Like, okay. <laughs> no, he's, he's, he's just good. He's one of those guys that like that role never was supposed to be what it became. He's just great. He's a scene stealer. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he is. And he doesn't even have to try. It's crazy. I love it. Um, I think we need to keep him that way where he doesn't know how good he is. (laughs) (laughs) Can't can't have him getting too big of a head. Exactly. (laughs) Then it wouldn't fit in that, that, like, Statue of Liberty crown, right? (laughs) Or the Burger King crown. He wears a lot of crowns that are not actually a crown. It's because he's destined (laughs) to be king of Hillary. Hiking Todd. (laughs) What'll be funny is come season seven in the distant future, when they become a thing, you'll be like, that was me. (laughs) I hope so. so. I'm kind of hoping that he like takes the place of like how um, in the books, like Josh was like king instead of Quentin. (laughs) I love that. I lovingly refer to Josh as the people's princess. (laughs) I'm just like, I love you, Josh. You're like princess die in my heart for Fillory. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, last question from listeners. Um, folks wanted to know who your favorite character is to write for and what draws you to them. Okay. Oh, my God. I don't want anyone to think I'm picking favorites. Okay. Favorite 
purely because it's just so easy for me to write him, probably Penny. Awesome. I just turn on my inner cranky person. (laughs) (laughs) Just write Penny. It's great. (laughs) Just like. Penny just comes out. Wait a little longer before you eat, just like right out of pure hanger. <laughs> I just go, I just go, I am such a terrible writer. Oh, and then no. it's like, be snarky about myself. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh. It's fun. He is a really fun one to write. Um, I also really love writing um, Julia because we put her in situations that are bonkers. Um, mm-hmm. And that's really fun to do. Oh, God, they're all fun to write. I also really liked, Penny is definitely my top fave the most recent script that I wrote Margot used to be really hard for me to write because I felt very pressured to be as funny as everybody else in the room and so many of them have like comedy backgrounds or comedy chops and I'm not naturally that person I kind of I think Penny comes naturally to me because the majority of his humor is him making observations about how ridiculous things are Mm -hmm. and that's just that's that's me in real life so (laughs) it's just I just understand him um but Margot, this most recent script, writing her for the first time, she just like came, like my fingers like knew what they were doing. So that was delightful. <laughs> <laughs> it's just tough because like John is like, everybody in that room is so funny. And she, John is just, he gives these incredible insults. And then Henry, comedy, and then David, just, he's not a comedy writer, but he's one of the funniest people I've ever met. And so like those guys just like, and then obviously Sarah is, they're just all really good at funny. <laughs> and I just, yeah, I'm like, she has to be funny. <laughs> I think you've done a good job. Like, uh, Plan B is really funny. <laughs> Thank you. I, I feel like the majority of the laughs in that one are just me writing cranky observations. <laughs> so. Well, I'd also say, like, I think some of my favorite moments for Margot are are the moments where she gets to be more vulnerable. And so, like, yeah. as great as it is to see her be, like, funny and snarky, because she's so, like, sh- like sharp, just teeth she and claws is. all the time she's... I really like it when so she's good. not when she like drops the armor for a second so uh, mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. I don't feel like anyone should feel pressured to be funny with Margot like let let her also be a human being it's okay <laughs> she's, she's got her feel moments she's she got does. them yeah. and then she immediately shuts down yep. and she's like nope <laughs> that was too yeah. much what so. were the what were the names sorrow and sorrow the yeah. axes <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. Sorry, I was just thinking about something that I can't talk about. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Fair, Fair enough. enough. All right, well, that was, <laughs> that was the last question that I had in the script. Danny, anything else you want to, like, get to before we go? I actually asked everything, like, in between, so <laughs> I think I'm good. Do you have anything else? I I don't know. Uh, this was just so great, um, and I haven't eaten in like six hours, so I'm gonna say no. <laughs> <laughs> um, Christina, thank you so much for joining us. This was really really fun. <laughs> awesome. Thank you guys it so was. much for having me. It was fun listening. It was. I had a really good time listening to so many of the other episodes. <laughs> like Henry told us to listen to him a while ago. And so I had, but I caught up on the ones that I had missed in the last few days. And I was just like, oh, these are good. Uh, well, it, it's it, fun. It, it thrills me inside that y'all listen to them and enjoy them. Um, I have to say, though, so Danny, I wanted to tell you about this. Um, so 
I, I looked at our reviews today for like the first time in three months because we got a new one and I'd been like avoiding looking at it for a week because I never want to know if they're bad. Um, but it was it was a good review. <laughs> yeah. But the thing that made me that like got me deep in the feels was that the person said that their dad had recommended the podcast to them. And oh, I was like, oh, no. my God, family fandom. <laughs> a family fandom. <laughs> together stays together it's amazing (laughs) i love it yeah um so yeah on that note thanks also to our listeners if you like the show remember to rate us on itunes or leave us a review the more positive ratings we get the higher we show up in search results which means it's easier for other fans to find us and hear interviews with wonderful people like christina which you definitely have to come back on I'm, i'm just putting that out there it's it's there's there's not a choice. I here. will be here. <laughs> you know what? Um, <laughs> and um, as always, listeners, you can follow us on Twitter or Facebook at Physical Kids Pod. Bye. 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 Mind slide. Hey, Margo. <laughs>